0: Hello and welcome again to Romance Aloud, the RNA60 podcast celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelist Association in the UK. I'm Ian Skillicorn and in this special series I'm talking to RNA members about their own books and the authors from the association's 60-year history whose work means the most to them. This time I'm delighted to bring you my interview with Lorna Cook, the best-selling author of The Forgotten Village and The Forbidden Promise. When I spoke to Lorna, I started by asking if she could tell us something about her debut best-selling novel, The Forgotten Village, and what inspired her to write it.
1: Yes, I am one of these mad people who spends far too much time on the internet. And I get an awful lot of sponsored adverts now targeted at me because of my research. And so I had a lot of stories um, in my head, lummoxing around, mainly to do with abandoned buildings and things like that. But I've always been really into World War II from a really young age. Uh, which kind of ties into the chosen author I picked as well. And I remember my husband tagged me in a Facebook post, which went off to a national newspaper website. And it was just a social history piece about Tynham, this lovely abandoned village in Dorset, the coast of Dorset. And it was a true story about how the village was requisitioned in the middle of World War II. It was in preparation for the D-Day landings, but the uh, residents didn't obviously know that's what they were being kicked out of their homes for. And so everybody got kicked out from the people who lived in the manor house to the fishermen who lived in the coastal cottages. And they were all given just under a month in order to pack up and leave. And that to me was just the most amazing story. And I kind of followed that trail. And then I sort of asked a question of my head, you know, what would happen if I was given less than a month to move out? How would I feel? And I kind of crafted a story around people, the people who'd been kind of kicked out. But I made up fictional people and moved them into a manor house. And it was about them, really.
0: And I believe the villagers never actually returned to Tynum. Is that right?
1: No, they didn't. They they weren't allowed back. It was very complicated. But in short, in real life, they were given a requisition order and moved out. And they were told they could move back. And then they were told they could move back when the war was won, but they were never told when. And that was kind of the thing that the government held on to because it was a compulsory purchase order and they purchased the entire village afterwards because it was just sort of smack bang in the middle of a training ground. And so it wasn't very viable for the people to move back. So the manor house got taken as well and um, none of the villagers were allowed back and then after the war they were all relocated around Dorset. I think the council built them homes but they left lots of their possessions behind because they just thought it was temporary and they never got them back so there's lots of things that were still sort of left in the village.
0: And when you were researching the book did you get a chance to visit Tynham and see it for yourself?
1: I did my research on the internet, first of all, and then when I got to about 60,000 words, it coincided neatly with my children's Easter holidays. So we went down to Dorset for a week, and you can only get into Tynum on a few days of the year. It's open for most of the summer holidays, I believe. That's when the army stopped shooting, because they still use the Lulworth gunnery ranges above it. So Tynum's in this lovely little cove, and over the top of it, basically, they just fire. So it's always closed until, you know, the few days of the year and some of the summer holidays. So we went on the one day it was open in the Easter holidays and wandered around. My kids were probably a little bit confused as to why we were in this crumbling village when there was not a lot for them to do. So my husband took them off and then I just went round and inhaled the atmosphere and read the placards around. And that was really the only place I could find information about each of the cottages and each of the people who lived in them and what they did and where they went after the war. I was so intrigued after they were kicked out. I was so intrigued as to what happened to them. Not a lot of what I read there got used in the book, because I was already quite entrenched in my plot. But in terms of how the village looked and how far it was from the sea, and where the manor house sits, because you can't see that now, um, that got knocked down. But it's kind of deep within the forest. And so that kind of information to me was quite interesting, because I hadn't really got a clue what the layout was. So it's quite important to do that kind of thing, I think.
0: So did you find out what happened later on to some of the real life inhabitants? And did that inspire any of your characters at all?
1: Do you know, I did look. And then I decided that I didn't, because it's historical fiction and not historical fact, I, I didn't want to kind of take real stories and feel like I was using them for my own benefit. So I wasn't really sure that I should take somebody's real story and incorporate it. But I did read accounts of how the villagers were mostly so supportive of the idea and so willing, because that was the bit they wanted to do for the wars like we 've been asked to leave we haven 't been told why, but we 're all upping and going, and we 're doing it for britain it 's basically what the kind of the overarching theme was i 'm not sure i 'd have been so understanding, but they all rented their properties so from the manor house, and so it was very they had no choice really, but I tried not to incorporate too much and so While I do use the manor house, the real manor house. I was very careful that I, I looked up the stories of the people who were there and they were called the Bonds. And in the war, the son was shot down. He was a pilot. He was shot down and taken as a prisoner of war. And it was only afterwards when he returned and found that his village his house had gone, that that's when he realised what happened because he'd had no news while he was away. Stories like that are completely interesting. And I could have absolutely taken that and done something very fun with it, but it felt too close. It was real. I couldn't take somebody's real story. And I did actually get contacted by a lovely reader who said, oh, I knew somebody who lived in Tyne. Um, and I also know um, the daughter of the Bonds who were there and, uh, you know, and you've used their house. And I wonder how they might feel about that. But she said, I think they take it in good, good heart because obviously you haven't used them. And I thought, no, exactly. <laughs> it's not to use real people sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, both The Forgotten Village and The Forbidden Promise are dual timeline stories. And I know you've said you enjoy them as a reader as well as as a writer. So I wondered, what is it about dual timeline stories that attracts you?
1: I am so entrenched in historical fiction. I love historical fiction. I don't read a lot of modern day based fiction, but in terms of dual timelines, when you're mixing the two together, I am so enthralled by the concept of a historical mystery that remains unsolved until present day. And so, whenever I see a novel with that sort of general concept, I'm a really easy sell, you know. I'm like, oh, there's another one. I'll just read that. I love them. I love them so much. It's just intriguing. There's a bit of romance. There's a lot of history. There's a lovely mystery that needs to be solved. There's often strong heroines, and they're, they're just really they're great easy easy reads. I love them. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs>
0: And as I mentioned, your new novel, The Forbidden Promise, that's also a dual timeline story too, isn't it?
1: It is, yes. I have gone the other end of the country. I've gone the other end of the British Isles and I'm up uh, in Scotland for this next one. Um, It's set in the Highlands and it surrounds a mystery of a woman at the start of the war who sees a spitfire crash into a lock and she makes a decision to rescue the pilot. And when he asks to be kept hidden because he wants to leave the horrors of war, She makes a promise she probably shouldn't and volunteers to keep him hidden and safe for as long as he needs. And then in the present day, my heroine Kate arrives to um, the house called Invermore, and she sees my heroine in the past name, Constance, is scrubbed out really viciously from the family Bible, and she goes on a quest to find out what's happened to her.
0: Now, can you tell us which author you've chosen to talk about for RNA60?
1: Yes, I've chosen Rosamund Pilcher, the beloved Rosamund Pilcher.
0: A great choice. Can you tell us why you chose her?
1: So I, I was thinking about this. Why did I choose her? So I have read everything she's written, other than when she penned novels under the name of Jane Fraser, which was her pseudonym. And because I can't get hold of those books, but I have scavenged eBay for them. And I have realised that most of them were written under the name, under the Mills and Boone um, Publishing House, which sits alongside my publisher, at HarperCollins. So I might contact them and ask if I can get hold of some <laughs> some copies somehow but I have read everything she's written. And I came to her when I was 16, which is quite young to be reading this kind of a novel, I realise now looking back. But I found a drama on, I think it was shown on ITV and it was one of her novels, it was Coming Home, had been dramatised. And I was trying to think about, oh, I, I don't think it was that long ago. I didn't, but I realised I've accelerated time in my head. And I looked at when it was broadcast and it was 1998 and I thought that, uh, oh, it has Kira Knightley in it, so it must be really recent, but it really was quite a long time ago. So I was 16 years old, I've worked out, when all my friends are probably out partying to Slipknot or whatever, I'm, I'm just going to watch a World War II drama with my mum and dad on Sunday night. And so I came to that, and I was so excited to find out that this dramatisation was based on a novel. And it's a beautiful book. I realise they cut so much out when they, they dramatise, as they often do. And Coming Home is a beautiful novel about a girl called Judith, who is young, and she goes to boarding school. And her parents go to Singapore during the war, and she's sent to boarding school. And she meets the Carey Lewis family, and they basically adopt her in this grand, crumbling house um, called Nanchero. And she goes to stay with them every holiday, and then falls madly in love with them and the sun. And there's lots and lots of drama, and lots and lots of heartbreak, and lots and lots of World War Two, and a lovely old country house. It ticked all my boxes. It's fantastic.
0: Well, it's interesting you should mention Coming Home because it's a beautiful book and it's actually won the RNA's Romantic Novel of the Year Award in 1996, so two years before the TV series came out.
1: It's fantastic. Yes, I can see why it did. It's beautiful. It's a really large book. It's just oh, it's just magical. From then on, I, I, just, I devoured everything. She wrote, I went to the library and I took everything out. And for some reason, I don't know how I did it, I missed The Shell Seekers, which is a lot of people's favourite novels. Mine is coming home of hers, but a lot of people say The Shell Seekers is this, and I don't know how I missed it. It must have been so popular, it was never in the library, that's probably how I missed it. And I, after my grandmother died, we cleared out her bungalow, and I found her copy of The Shell Seekers completely battered, and the spine cracked in so many places where she'd obviously read it over and over again. And so I have her copy um, of The Shell Seekers, and I read that, and oh, I fell in love with that book as well. She's written loads of little short books and short stories, so she was really prolific. She's just a marvellous sort of half saga, half drama. I'm not really sure what you categorise it as. It's just quite fast paced, but very, very lyrical. It's lovely.
0: Yeah, The Shell Seekers, of course, was her breakthrough novel back in the 80s, and that was a TV miniseries too, wasn't it, with Angela Lansbury? But you hadn't seen that one first.
1: No, I'm, I'm, I did see it eventually, but I missed it at the time. I think that was one of my more recent finds. And do you know, she's so popular in Germany. I found this out because I went to Cornwall. I used to work in Padstow and I went to Prudhoe Place, which is the country house at the top of Padstow, sort of up on the hill. And uh, they were filming a drama there and it was all in German. I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And they said, oh, we're filming a Rosamund Pilcher novel. I was so excited, but they're all in German. <laughs> When it would explain actually when I when I worked in Padstow there were a lot of German tourists and I don't think I'd twigged why until this like film crew rocked up all in German. Yeah, so that makes an awful lot of sense now. <laughs>
0: Yes, I discovered while I was preparing for our interview that apparently she's done loads for the tourism industry in Cornwall and millions of Germans go there every year just to see the locations where the TV series are filmed.
1: Oh gosh, that's mad. I, do you know that it does explain why I um So they made a follow-up drama. We should be talking about books, shouldn't we? We've gone on to tele adaptations. They filmed a follow-up drama, which was awful. Um, but it does star the absolutely lovely Joanna Lumley, who saves anything she's ever in. There was a lot of German actors in that and you can tell it's been dubbed and it was called Nanchero. So I grabbed that and even bought that because I was so excited. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's a follow-up. How have I missed the novel called Nanchero? How have I missed this? But no, they've just, they've just continued the book and it's, it's not great. It's, it takes the happy endings and twists them on their head and I hate that. Best to leave coming home where it was. I regret having watched it. <laughs> oh,
0: so Rosamund Pilcher hadn't written the sequel herself.
1: No, she didn't. And it was a British adaptation. They did show it on TV, which I obviously missed, but I got it on DVD. But no, she didn't write it. And I'm not sure how many of the German filmed ones now, how I think about it, that she actually wrote. I think they've just taken a theme and put her name to it, possibly. I I might be completely wrong about that. But I remember reading some read-ups and some blurbs about some of the TV shows they'd filmed. And I thought, I don't recognise this novel. So perhaps they've um, just run with a theme, maybe.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Now, Rosamond Pilcher was a massive part of the Romantic Novelist Association. She was a founding member. She received a Lifetime Achievement Award. And as I mentioned earlier, she got the Romantic Novel of the Year Award for coming home. As a fellow RNA member, did you ever get to meet her?
1: I didn't. I watched some interviews with her, but I never met her. And she passed away last year, sadly. And so I had joined the RNA. I'm fairly recent. I only joined in the last couple of years. And if she did go to any events, then I, I wasn't at the ones that she was at. But it would have been so lovely to have had the chance to meet her.
0: Having been such a fan of her books, how do you think you would have felt if you had met her? Would you have been starstruck?
1: I'm starstruck by everybody I meet in the RNA. <laughs> just ask Liz Bennick how I behave in front of her. I'm just like, hi, how are you? It's terrible. <laughs> I'm all wide eyed and bushy tailed at everybody.
0: <laughs> and if you'd had that opportunity to speak, what would you have said to her?
1: Oh my gosh, what a good question. I don't know. I I do not know. I'd have probably just chatted nonsense at her and I would have asked for tips and pacing, pacing tips, I think, from her because she's quite a master at that. There's a long time in between, in coming home, especially, there's a long time in between anything huge happening. But following the daily life of Judith when she joins the Rens and is you're just intrigued. Every moment is is interesting, even if there's nothing massively dramatic happening. It's just very, very beautiful, very beautiful writing. So I'd have probably asked her for for how she makes even the mundane aspect of a character's life interesting.
0: Apart from enjoying her stories, what influence, if any, has Rosamund Pilcher's writing had on you?
1: Um, I think I am going to hold her partially responsible for my adoration of the home front in World War Two. I think she made it sound. I think it was a glamorous time for a lot of women. I think they made it glamorous, all that sort of victory red lipstick. And I think I would blame her for my love of that because she did make it sound like a fun, enthralling time to be a woman, a frightening time, um, worrying time, but I think a fun and exciting time when women kind of came into their own and moved away from home for probably the first time in their lives if they weren't privileged enough to go to boarding school. And so I think I would, um, yeah, I find that an intriguing aspect of her novels and something that I kind of put into mind, really, that sort of women in the home front. Yeah.
0: I think I might know the answer to this question, but for anyone who hasn't read a Rosamund Pilcher novel, which one would you recommend they read first?
1: I would recommend Coming Home, definitely. But do you know, The Shell Seekers as well, because it's set at the same time and she didn't do a lot... Of novels, from what I can recollect, set in the war, Winter Solstice and September, they were also really a few of her really big novels, and they're equally as enthralling, even though they're set more now than they were, you know, in the past. But I would say Coming Home and The Shell Seekers is a very close second. Although a lot of people swear by that as their favorite novel, so start with either, (laughs) just start.
0: Well, to finish, if we can go back to your own writing career and the influence the RNA's had on you, could you say something about the New Writer's Scheme and the part that played in your own path to publication?
1: Oh my gosh, the New Writer's Scheme, I owe them everything. I joined the RNA on the New Writer's Scheme, which is marvellous. And I'm sure everybody listening knows about the New Writer's Scheme. But if you don't, in a very brief nutshell, it's kind of your only way into the RNA if you are unpublished. And you join, I think it's quite inexpensive for what you get. And you get a full critique of your partial novel or your finished novel, if you have finished one. um, And they pair you up with somebody who writes in your genre. And so I got the wonderful Alison May and she critiqued my novel. And I used, oh, she wrote me pages and pages of feedback. And it was, uh, you know, it was marvellous. Here's what you've done really well. Here's what you could make better. And it just went through. It was like, I think it's about eight pages long. It was fantastic. And as a result of her and the new writer scheme, I submitted my novel to a few agents and was lucky enough to get some offers and then became published, basically, which is a very short version of what happened, but (laughs) a more sort of podcast friendly version in terms of time. But it's not only that, it's the friendship as well. And I came to the RNA at a time when I just had my second baby and I was on maternity leave. And I guess I probably was feeling quite lonely. And of course, you're surrounded by um, baby stuff and fictional characters, which is a deadly combination. So I'm not really getting out and about. And so when I joined, I um, joined the Chelmsford chapter, which is the one closest to me. And I've made some absolutely lovely writing friends. And we kind of meet up really regularly. I'm actually going to lunch with them in about an hour. So I've been really lucky that it's such a welcoming industry, and it's such a welcoming association. Everybody's welcome, and it is just so friendly and everybody gets on and everybody's helpful as well, from those who are you know super duper writers who have been published for years to those who are on the new writer' scheme, everybody's helpful even i mean especially on the new writer' scheme when you get paired up with a writer who does it out of the goodness of their heart, really. And everybody in the RNA does it out of the goodness of their heart because they really believe in in the value of romantic writing. It's just the best association to join.
0: It certainly is. Well, before we let you go, could you remind us again about your latest novel and also let listeners know where they can find you online?
1: Um, yes. So um, my new novel is The Forbidden Promise. Then it's on all good independent shops and retailers, along with the big ones. And I am online. I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I think you just have to search for Lorna Cook Author and I'm there. And my website is lornacookauthor.com.
0: Lorna Cook, thanks very much. It's been really lovely to talk to you about your writing and of course your RNA 60 choice, Rosmond Pilcher.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And dear listener, thanks to you too for listening. Join me again soon for another episode of Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelists Association. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a positive review. To find out more about the Romantic Novelists Association, go to romanticnovelistsassociation.org. The show notes for this episode, with more information about Lorna Cook and Rosmond Pilcher, can be found at windhamaudio.com forward slash rna that's wyndham w-y-n-d-h-a-m audio.com forward slash rna take care and i hope you'll join me again next time So